0: Good morning, my sweetheart church. It's great to join you in worship today. Thank you for being here with us. Well, it's been an exciting couple of weeks of news in our country, isn't it? Over the last couple of weeks, we had a Chinese spy balloon traversing the entirety of our nation until it was finally shot down, and then after that, three other unidentified objects that were, we were told, decommissioned. I guess that's what happens when you are hit by a Sidewinder missile. You are decommissioned. The origin of those last three is unclear at this point, but it does seem pretty clear to me at least that in regard to that balloon, we're being tested. This is kind of an international muscle flexing exercise to see who's the toughest. And if indeed that's true, if China is bullying us, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? how we will respond to this provocation. I hope you'll join me as I have been doing in praying for our president and our leaders as they respond wisely to this provocation. In today's passage, Jesus is being provoked, not once, but twice. And in fact, he's being provoked by his arch enemy, the devil, the evil one. And as we read these two stories, they might first seem as first seem to be unrelated, but in fact they are not. They are bookends. They are intended to be. In the first case, they ask and then answer the most important question a human can ask, the most important question in the Bible. And they also reveal a titanic spiritual battle between Jesus and the uber bully of all, Satan, in all of his bluster. And at the end of our message today, I'm going to make two points. Here's the first one. Evil is more evil than we can know, and Jesus is stronger than we can imagine. Evil is more evil than we can know, but Jesus is stronger than we can imagine. So let's turn to these really two exciting passages of Scripture. We find them in our continued journey through the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. Luke 8 And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and water? And they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. This is the word of the Lord. The first time I visited Israel in 1984, I remember vividly making the trip north up to the Sea of Galilee. We were driving along the shoreline road, and uh, we saw the same sign that was staggered every few hundred yards, and it said, beware of western wimps. I thought, what's a western wimp? Uh, They got the P and the D reversed, I guess, but aside from that unfortunate misspelling, it was a reminder of an historic problem. Galilee is notorious for sudden violent winds that descend from the eastern range of the mountains on the the far side, and they come down onto the lake, and then things turn scary. A placid lake has turned into a maelstrom in only minutes, and I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've been there when the lake was as, as flat as glass, and in just a few moments, it was suddenly all wind and waves. Of course, none of this would have been unusual, nothing new to Jesus' disciples. I mean, among those 12, he had four fishermen for crying out loud. They, they obviously knew. They were used to these sudden shifts in the weather. And yet, apparently, they had never seen anything quite like this. Jesus was exhausted and they were rowing him across the lake, perhaps for a little bit of a respite on the other side, and things got really hairy. Even the fishermen, it seems, were were terrified and so terrified that they woke Jesus from his nap with these hysterical words, "Master, Master, we are perishing." What amazes me about this, and apparently amazed the disciples too. they were marveled at what they saw, they marveled, was this matter of fact way that Jesus responded to this seeming peril. He doesn 't get flustered. It appears that he doesn't even rise to his feet to make himself more ominous. He just lay there, turned, and rebuked the storm. Shut up, wind. I'm trying to sleep here. That's essentially what he said. And suddenly we are told it was calm. You all know the story of Jonah and the fish from the Old Testament. The analogy here is obvious. It is intended to be obvious that Jonah is a a foreshadowing of Jesus in several ways. But in Jonah's case, he had to be thrown overboard in order to bring calm to the storm. In Jesus' case, he simply rebukes the storm and it goes dead quiet. Here's the thing I really want to point out to you. That word, rebuke, in Greek, it's actually a very harsh word. It is an exorcism word. It is the same word that one would use to cast out evil spirits. And it seems that Luke is saying, this wasn't any old garden variety storm. He's saying, this was a spiritual attack. Satan was using nature to terrify and possibly harm Jesus and his disciples. But with a simple word of rebuke, no incantations, no histrionics, with a simple rebuke. Now, apparently, not even bothering to get up off of his comfy cushion, with a word of rebuke, Jesus brings Satan's storm to its knees. And then he asks the disciples the same kind of uncomfortable question he often asks them. He said, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Shaking his head. You know, Luke actually records Jesus saying a lot about faith, and often praising the faith of common people. We saw that he praised the faith of the four men who lowered Jesus down through a hole. I lowered the man down through a a hole in the roof to Jesus' feet. They he praised the faith of the centurion. Remember that he said he had never seen any greater faith than the centurion who asked him to heal his slave. We see him praise the faith of the sinful woman at the Pharisees' meal. Next week, we'll see him praising the faith of the woman with the hemorrhage. Later, praising the faith of a Samaritan leper. And finally, praising the faith of a blind man in Jericho. These were all people of great faith according to Jesus, and they were all common folk. None were his disciples. And regrettably, every time Jesus spoke to his disciples about their faith, he was disappointed in their lack of it. Every time. He never once said to the disciples, way to go guys, you really got it this time. He said, there you go again boys. When are you ever going to learn? Perhaps it's not very surprising though. In, it's one thing to have faith in one moment, in one spectacular hope-filled moment and to have that kind of faith. But it is another thing to develop a life of faith that conquers fear. Uh, An enduring faith that keeps trusting Jesus day by day, moment by moment, storm by storm, trusting Him no matter what. That's harder, isn't it? Do you have that kind of fearless, unwavering faith? I don't have it yet. I wish I did, but I don't. Sometimes flashes Flashes of brilliance. I'll have a moment of faith, but I don't yet have that enduring faith that always trusts in the goodness and the provision and the protection of God no matter the circumstances I encounter. And I think Jesus often shakes his head at me when he sees me stressing out yet again. I don't have it yet, but I'm so relieved to see that neither did his disciples. They didn't have it yet either. But even in their fear, they ask the most important question ever asked. Did you see it? Who then is this that He commands even winds and water and they obey Him? It is the right question. It is the most important question. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus Christ? It is the question every human will one day answer, whether they intend to or not. It is the greatest question, and the answer comes... In the next story, from a very unexpected source, they get to the other side of the lake. It's an area called the Decapolis. That is Greek for ten cities. It was ten Greek-Roman cities, Greco-Roman cities. And for an observant Jew, this place, the Decapolis, was filthy. It was spiritually, ritually unclean in every way. And you find all kinds of clues in the story, don't you? It was a Gentile country, so that was unclean. It was riddled with tombs. The area had a lot of tombs in it. Death, unclean. They raised pigs here. You can't get much more unclean than that. And the part that Luke doesn't tell us is this. They also had Roman soldiers stationed here. That was unclean. No self-respecting rabbi had any business setting foot on this side of the lake because they believed it would defile him. It would make him unclean, unworthy. But the Decapolis does not defile Jesus. Jesus sterilizes the Decapolis. Jesus is the holy contagion that makes that filthy place clean. Jesus is the COVID of holiness. He has an appointment with the filthiest of human beings, and he's not going to miss it this most wretched, pitiful, frightening person that you will ever find anywhere in the Bible. That's who he's about to meet. That's who his appointment is for. They put ashore, and that guy comes running at them. Mark tells us he came running at them, screaming at the top of his lungs. That would be exciting, I'm sure. But there's more. He was stark naked he had superhuman strength. He could break every chain that was put on him. He was covered with scars and bleeding wounds because we are told that he slashed himself in his own self loathing with rocks, sharp rocks. He was, he's the first recorded cutter. He wanted to harm himself. He, he lived in tombs, if you can imagine, sleeping among the corpses. He wailed at night in his agony. He was the terror of the town, and now He terrorized the disciples as He came running toward them, stark naked, screaming like a banshee. But He didn't terrorize Jesus. But the same authority that He used to rebuke Satan's storm, Jesus now rebukes Satan's minions within this man, and the wretch falls before Him on and cries, what? Will you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Remember who this guy is. This guy is superhumanly strong, freakishly strong. The townspeople cannot even keep him in chains because he, he breaks them with his own hands. But before Jesus, this freakishly strong, superhuman guy, he withers. As he grovels on his knees before Jesus, Jesus asks one question, What is your name? And he says, legion, which is haunting and significant. A legion was the largest unit in a Roman army, 5,600 men. Remember, a garrison of Roman soldiers was stationed nearby with the, the responsibility to subjugate that region, subjugate the Decapolis. Well, here was a man who also had been subjugated by a legion. Not by sold, not of soldiers, but of demons who had taken control of Him. His preferred pronoun was we and us because of all the evil spirits living within Him. It is, it is horrifying. But Legion knows that the gig is up. He knows that they are about to be evicted from their human host. And so they beg Jesus to cast them into a nearby herd of pigs. Two thousand of them, the Gospel of Mark tells us. And Jesus agrees. And then the pigs, enraged, rush off of a nearby cliff and they drown in that sea. And in that moment, I think that poor man realized as he watched them commit that mass suicide, he realized he had been delivered. He had been set free. Jesus had taken out the trash. Now what would be the response of his townsfolk, his fellow townspeople? They had never been able to help him Their best idea was to lock him up, chain him up, shackle him up, and they always failed even at that. So you would think that they would be thrilled at the triumph, the supreme triumph of good over this evil. You would think they would be thrilled at this wretched man's deliverance, right? Well, let's see. Here's the rest of the story. Verse 34 When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I wish there were a better end to the story, don't you? This is not the end we might hope for. Legion, this naked, bleeding, cutting, howling, freakishly strong spiritual terrorist, had tormented this village for years. But when they march out to confront Jesus over their dead pigs, and they find this man sitting calm and clothed and in his right mind, what was their response? Astonishment, jubilation, celebration, more fear, more fear, and rejection. They asked Jesus to go away, and so he did. But he left behind an evangelist, the artist formerly known as Legion, who proclaimed the salvation of Jesus. This is such a great couple of stories. It is so rich. I want to focus, though, on just two things. As I said, the first thing I want to look at is this. Evil is more evil than we can know. Evil is more evil than we can know. Both accounts are spiritual battles between bully Satan and strongman Jesus. The spiritual battle with Legion is an obvious one. And it's just not one evil spirit. It's a host of evil spirits tormenting this man with whom Jesus contends. But even the storm has a, we discover it has a a demonic stirring that was intended to bully Jesus, frighten them, perhaps even destroy him and his disciples. And honestly, when you look at the depth of wickedness in this passage, it is not pleasant to reflect upon that kind of depravity. But if we dismiss these As superstitions of ancient ignorant people, we neglect a central theme of this story and of Jesus' earthly ministry, because evil is more evil than we can know. Even nature, even beautiful nature, can be twisted by Satan. We see it in the storm that was on the Galilee. We've seen it in in Turkey, where an earthquake has killed more than 40,000 people. This is not the goodness of God's original creation. This is the work of our enemy who perverts creation and his evil intent. And poor old legion. As I said, there isn't a more wretched soul in the Bible, and yet we see the likes of him more and more every day on our streets, do we not? Poor, wretched souls who have opened themselves up to the influence of Satan through drugs and alcohol and porn and destructive lifestyles. Suicide is on the rise. Cutting is on the rise. Violence on the rise. Crime on the rise. Sexual mutilation of our children carried out by medical personnel who swore to do no harm is on the rise. Mockery of Christianity and the celebration of evil is on the rise. And You need look on no further than two recent media events to make the point. The Grammy Awards featured a song called Unholy in which the singer plays the devil, worshipped by the crowds, while a transgender woman locked in a cage is tormented by demons. And the CBS Twitter feed, anticipating the performance, declared, we are ready to worship. It is sick and evil. And conversely, poignant, at least I found them to be poignant ads celebrating the fact that Jesus gets us which ran during the Super Bowl, were condemned as endorsing fascism and promoting hatred. The contrast could not be starker. A performance piece glorifying evil is celebrated and applauded, literally a standing ovation, but an ad declaring that Jesus loves the people we hate is vilified. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Satanic clubs now appearing in grade schools. A TikTok trend, TikTok, there's a tool of the devil, a TikTok trend called Death Dive, which encourages children to to film their own potentially suicidal plunges. That is evil, and it is worse and worse and worse. We are not a fiery brimstone bunch, we Presbyterians, we're normally pretty thoughtful. But from time to time, we need to remind ourselves why we need a Savior. Jesus didn't just save us to be nice. Jesus saved us because evil is so evil. because apart from His grace and His love, apart from His deliverance, we will spend an eternity separated from God that is called hell forever. This Grammy image of hell as the sexiest, exciting, fun place to be is the supreme lie. Hell is the most awful place one could imagine. You don't want to go there. And it never struck me before, but our story teaches that. The demons beg not to be returned to the abyss, to the hell which was their home. The demons would rather be anywhere else, including in a herd of pigs than back in hell. If even demons are terrified of hell, that ought to scare the hell out of us. Evil is more evil than we can know. That's the bad, bad news. Here's the even better, better, better good news. Jesus is stronger than we can imagine. At that time, it was believed that the evil forces and the deity were kind of balancing each, outer, uh, each, each other out. They were equal in power. Well, Jesus Christ trash-canned that theory. He came with a mission, and First John tells it, This is His mission. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You ever seen that verse before? Let me say it again. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came on a holy crusade to destroy the works of the enemy, and He does it in these stories. He silences demonic waves with a word, In the Old Testament, it was only God who calmed storms, which is why the frightened disciples asked the ultimate human question, who is this guy? And the answer comes amazingly from a terrifying multiple demoniac named Legion who declares, well, this is Jesus, the son of the most high God. They know who Jesus is. They who terrorized this man and this village, now they whimper at his feet knowing that their days of torment are over, begging permission to be sent into a herd of pigs rather than into the abyss. The good news is Jesus who lives in us, the Jesus whose Spirit inhabits us, is the most powerful force in the universe. And the bad news is, like the villagers who begged Him to leave, We are often more terrified of unleashing Jesus in all His power than we are of the evil we have become so used to. They were more concerned about their financial losses, about the upheaval to their social equilibrium, than they were to see this wretched man set free. It is a haunting moment when those villagers ask Jesus, powerful Jesus, the master of all, will you please go away? and even more haunting, He does. Every day in more and more ways, the cities of our country are asking Jesus to please go away, even though He is the only one who can bring an end to our terrors, racism, and hatred, and division, and abuse, and sexual dysfunction, and relational dysfunction, and violence, and divorce, and suicide. Our cities, our nations are more frightened of powerful Jesus and they are of the evil evil one who is rending our society aside who is rending our families and rending our very soul as a nation we would rather endure the evil that we know than face the powerful jesus that we can't control the loving power of jesus terrifies us well maybe we've come to a moment when we have said it's enough when we begin interceding, when we begin praying with some power, when instead of timidly approaching God and and asking if He will help us, we rebuke the evil one in the name and in the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus who lives within us. Evil is more evil than we can know, and Jesus Christ is stronger than we can imagine. So I ask you, beloved... Where in your life do you need to stand in the might and the authority of Jesus Christ and bring your enemy to His knees? Perhaps we can begin that even now as we pray together. So join me in prayer. Jesus, You are the master of all things. We declare that so. Jesus, You are the Son of the Most High God. We declare that so. Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we declare that so. You are the greatest power in the universe, the creator, sustainer, redeemer of all things. And yet we timidly approach you as if we wonder if you have the time or the power to carry out our, our meager requests. Forgive us for our timidity. Forgive us that we would sometimes rather ask you to leave than to face the power that is unleashed when we trust you. Lord Jesus, there are things in our lives, things in our community, things in our nation, things in our world that are just evil, and we want to call upon You to speak against that, to stand against that, and to bring healing. All Right now, I want you to think, what is one thing in your life, a relationship, a situation, a a national crisis, what one thing in your heart that, that you feel is out of control and wicked and broken. I want you to think of that thing, and then I want you to join with me in your heart as we ask Jesus to intercede here. Master, Master, we are perishing. Master, Son of the Most High God, we need You. And so we speak in the name of Jesus. We speak healing and wholeness. We speak deliverance and restoration. We speak redemption We speak the healing of Jesus into broken marriages. We speak the healing of Jesus into broken bodies. We speak the healing of Jesus in broken relationships. We speak the healing of Jesus in broken lives. Jesus, would you come against the enemy who seeks to kill and steal and destroy? Would you come against him in your great power? Would you astound us by the way that you show up? We come against our enemy, Satan, against the evil one, against the splitter, the divider, the accuser. We come against you in the name of Jesus. You have no place in this church. You have no place among these families. You have no place among these lives. You have no place in this community. We come against you in the name of Jesus, and we order you to be away, to be brought to your knees in the name and in the power of the risen Christ. We pray that prayer in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. Watch this. But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. And all of God's people said, amen.
1: Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 1030. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
2: You me with a man. longer.